Turn with me. Well, actually, before you do that, before you do that, um, some of you are wearing shirts with the, the theme firsthand. What's the theme this year? Stained. Stained. Uh, anybody go to the website and kind of read the read a little bit about it? Read the verse. Anybody read, read some verses this morning? A couple hands. Okay. Well, we're really excited about um, diving in and exploring. Um, this theme this week, and uh, and really with an eager anticipation of how, how would God want to teach each of us um, about himself, um, and what does it mean to, to live a life that is, um, that is stained by him, and uh, as you may have read this morning, uh, the, the evening speakers are going to be going through the book of Colossians with us, and I won't ruin anything or, or uh, spoil their thunder at all. Um, in fact, I, I, I made sure that I was, we're going we're gonna to read out of a, a different book this morning, but it's, uh, I hope that this morning can be uh, an introduction to the theme, the, the theme of stain. And uh, to do that, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. You turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 uh, is actually uh, very close to the most famous Bible verse in the entire Bible. Who knows it? John 3.16. Can we say John 3.16? Who knows John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him perish and have everlasting life. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the million dollar question, who here, who here knows, without looking at your Bibles, all eyes on me, who said that? Jesus. Jesus? Who, okay. Good. I mean, you already knew. Or else your Bibles have red letters in it, you know. Or, yeah, Jesus said it. And he said it, he said it to a, a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And uh, what you find in the first part of the book of John is uh, John, John writes his book, um, well, actually, turn with me to, to see John 20, 31. Here's, the, here's kind of the, the purpose of John as a book. John 20, 31. We're talking about Jesus and his miracles and the things that he did, does. Uh, but it, it's a great bookend. 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay? There's a, there's a bit of a purpose for us. We look at coming to John 4, and we, we've, we've just seen Jesus talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jew who goes at night because he's really interested in talking about Jesus. He wants to learn more, but he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be seen. Uh, he, he's a Jewish teacher. He, he wants to ask some honest questions of Jesus, but he doesn't want anybody to know really that he's asking them. And so what you see is this dialogue with Jesus, and Jesus says, John 3, 16, this is what it means to have new life, to be reborn. Um, and this is the conversation with, with uh, Nicodemus, being Nicodemus and Jew. That was John 3. Um, you come into John 4, and Jesus is engaging with another person. This time, it's a woman. And um, she's probably, if we're looking at the spectrum in, in kind of the New Testament, if you're thinking about where, um, if, if there were Jews and there were, there were, 
well, Gentiles eventually. The Samaritans were a group that just were, they were non-Jewish. They weren't Jewish. They didn't really follow the same set of rules that the Jews did. And Jesus is, is talking to her in John 4. Yeah, woman at the well, great. Um, so if we, if we turn to John 4, this is where we're going to start up here. Um, yeah. And, and before we do that, I forgot to read this. What I think is a good segue into this story is, is to actually know what happened in John 3.17. We always know John 3.16, uh, but we never have John 3.17 memorized. And John 3.17 says this. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Okay? Again, Jesus said those words. I just want to let that kind of lead us into the story. So let's read in John 4. Uh, and we're going to, we'll start at the beginning. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Uh, now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and the flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you... Have had five husbands, and the man you are you, you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now come, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, him he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, Why do you what what do you want or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Father, would you give me your words to speak, and would we know you deeply as a result of this time, and then would you show yourself to us in a fresh way? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. There was a guy, well, first of all, I, I grew up in Seattle, um, and uh, I'm, I'm told I, I actually need to start telling people where you're from. I'm from St. Louis. Um, I keep telling people, yeah, where are you from? Uh, Seattle. Where do you live? St. Louis. How long have you been there? Eight years. You know, kind of like, do you have your license plates in your car yet? Or change? I do. But uh, Growing up in Seattle, I heard a story about a guy uh, that was hitchhiking back in the 60s, when hitchhiking was still considered to be safe, and people did it a lot. And he was in California. A lot of people from California here this year. We got some representation. So anyways, he was, he was hitchhiking. He was hitchhiking from California up the coast to get to Seattle. You know, and for those of you who haven't seen hitchhikers, because there's not quite as many of them out nowadays, it, it works like this. You go to a road, and you have your stuff, and you look at cars coming toward you, and you do this. And then they pull over, and they give you rides, and it's great. And it was free, right? And uh, so this guy, we'll call him Phil. Phil's in California, and he needs to get up to Seattle. So he goes with his side of the road, sticks out his thumb, and people start picking him up. And they take him various distances. So the first person took him 100 miles. The next one took him 50. next one just took him around the block and dropped him off. But he eventually makes his way up. And he had a relative in Portland that he said, well, I'm going to stay in Portland. So the goal was, can I get to Portland by nightfall hitchhiking? So one of the, the last guys he got to pick him up as a pickup truck he jumped in the back and the guy starts going they're going up the highway and eventually the guy actually just pulls over they get really close to Portland pulls over the side of the highway and he yells out the window hey this is as far as I'm going I'm about to you know swing a left up here and we're going to be going the wrong way so you might as well just get out right here so Phil does jumped out of the truck and he can see across the distance that there's Portland but he's got you know a little fence and he's got a field that he's got to traverse in order to get to Portland. But there it is, you can see it. So he says, okay, thanks a lot. He jumps out of the truck, jumps to the fence, starts walking through the field, gets to Portland. It's getting dark. And he's walking through Portland. And you know, it, typical in the edges of cities, that's where you have a little more industrial district. And if, there's, if the buildings are starting to fall apart, that's where they tend to fall apart more. And so he finds himself walking down the street, and now it's getting dark. And he, he you know, he, he's just filled. He's just whatever, walking, going to find his, his relative. And uh, all of a sudden, a door opens up next to him, and this little lady opens the door a crack and says, Psst. And he was like, all right. And she says, no, no, come here. And so he, he walks in the door, and she quickly shuts the door behind him and throws three deadbolts across the door. And she says, you can't be out there. You're going to get killed. And he's completely clueless. What? He said, a, a man was killed 20 feet from my door last night. 
You can't walk down the street. You'll die. I got to call you a cab. So Phil, you know, who's, uh, uh, he sticks out like a sore thumb in this particular street. Okay, great. Calls a cab. She says, we got to go out the back, though. So he goes out the back, gets into a cab. The cab starts driving. And uh, Phil notices that, you know, he's sitting in the back, and he notices the cab driver, who's got the address he's going to, uh, is going faster and faster. And then he runs a red light. He's thinking, something's not right. So he says to the cab driver, he says, uh, what's going on, man? And the, the cab driver says, we're being followed. Um, they want to kill you. And Phil's thinking, who? who? <laughs> I don't, I, did they know it was coming? Like, who, who wants to, and the cab driver keeps going. He says, the only way we're going to just hang on, the only way we're going to get through this is i got to lose them. And so after about, you know, 80 miles an hour through the downtown or the, you know, the side streets of Portland and running about four or five red lights, they finally ditched the car. And eventually, Phil made it to his destination, to his relative's house. Um, it's a true story, and Phil's my dad. And that's what he did getting to his relative's house uh, in the late 60s. Phil was in the wrong part of town, as you might guess. And he, had, he didn't know that he shouldn't go there. He didn't know that that was a place he shouldn't be, that there was great risk for him to be there. Uh, he was in the wrong part of town. When we come to this passage here with Jesus, we're seeing Jesus going intentionally into the wrong, not part of town, but it's the wrong part of the world. It's the wrong part of the area. Samaria in that, in that time was, if you were a Jew um, and, and you, were, you needed to get from the south, like Jerusalem, up to the north to Galilee, I wish I'd drawn this out, but if you can imagine with me, you got the Sea of Galilee here, and you got the Jordan River that runs, I'm doing this backwards so you can see it. The Jordan River runs this way. And then over here you've got this coastline with the sea, and in the middle is Samaria. So if you want to go from the south to Galilee, you have, you have three options. You can either go over across the river and up. You can go over by the, by the sea and go up, or you can go up the middle. If you were a, a devout Jew who was trying to follow all the rules and stay you know, ceremonially clean and, um, and upright and do everything right, that's what you did. You would walk over. In fact, there was a saying of the time that... Um, if you were walking down the street and a Samaritan was walking toward you as a Jew, it was better for you to jump into the ditch to get out of their way so your shadows would not touch each other. Because just that alone was, was thought to, to actually make you unclean. So for a Jew to go in, unless they were, in really, they were really late for something, you know, they, they wouldn't go through. They'd go around it, and then they'd get to their, their journey. But Jesus here, he goes straight up the middle. I want to put it to you that Jesus is doing this on purpose. He, he's, he's going into this area on purpose. Um, the other thing you should probably be aware of, okay, you've got this, the river over here, and you've got the, the kind of water, the ocean sea over here. Now, what tends to grow near water? 
Yeah, plants. Okay, so um, if you're <laughs> irrigation is an amazing thing. Uh, there's there's a golf course not far away from here that I drove by earlier, and everything around it was completely desolate. And where they were sprinkling the water, it was just lush green. And that just you just see it and you go, wow, that's amazing. Same sort of deal. Samaria, it was an area that Samaria was an area. Samaria was an area that had uh, no irrigation like this. So if you're walking in there, it's rocky, it's craggy, there's a little bit of scrub brush, almost no shade, kind of hilly, um, a lot of dust, a lot of sand. Very dirty, very dry. I'm saying these words, I want to drink water. See that? It just makes me dry. This is where Jesus is going. It's also very hot. I mean, this is desert. I know we've got folks from Las Vegas and parts of California that, I mean, y'all feel some temperatures. you got Las Cruces, same sort of thing. Um, and you can say it's a dry heat, whatever. I can say, you know, in St. Louis, it's hot and humid. And, you know, you walk outside and you need a shower. It's just terrible. I can't stand it. Um, but it's hot. So Jesus, think about this. He's going into an area of the country that is... That is um, Known to be uh, a place you don't want to go if you're a Jew. And now it's also not cool. It's very hot. He's getting tired, thirsty, sweaty. He's going there for a purpose. <coughs> he also goes at a certain time of day. And um, he goes at a certain time of day for a reason. He, he's entering almost in the morning. And we don't know if he actually, this is a two-day journey or if he just did this all at once. But... He ends up arriving at this well at noon. I don't know if, if you're like me and you look at that and you're thinking, I have no idea what's the significance of noon. Well, okay, last night when we were here and you're outside or, or, or other places, at night it tends to cool down a bit, doesn't it? In the morning it tends to be a little cool. You almost put on like a little sweatshirt or something and then it warms up in the afternoon. Same sort of deal. And in that culture, since it was a desert culture, the, the water... I mean, you had to have water to live. I mean, it, literally, you, if, you, if you ran out of water, you're just going to die. Much like us, it's just so much more readily available to us here. We can turn on a faucet. They had to walk. Well, the women in the towns would often go in the mornings or the evenings with other women to go draw water and take it back to a town. It was a social thing, you know. And maybe it's like going to Starbucks now. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I was trying to think, like, okay, what could that be like? But they would go. They'd go in the morning, they'd hang out, maybe take some time, fill up the water, go back, they'd talk the whole way along. But this woman is there at noon, and Jesus comes at noon. And, and, and this is significant. It's significant because she doesn't want to be seen. She's intentionally going when no one's going to see her. She doesn't go at night, and she doesn't go in the morning. She, she doesn't want to have this as a social time. You might be asking why. Well, Jesus knows why. He knows she's ashamed. She's, she's ashamed of, of her past and how people see her. And, um, and so she wants to draw her water quietly and just get back. But Jesus has another plan. He seeks her out. Um, he's enduring these temperatures uh, to be with her. But um, if we look at this woman, okay, there's a band, Outcast. You may know the band, Outcast. Heard of the band Outcast? Raise a hand. Who, who knows? Okay, great. The band Outcast has nothing to do with this time, except for the fact that this woman was probably seen as an outcast in her in her own town. 
Okay? Wasn't that tricky? Wow. I used the word. So she's, she's an outcast. She was, uh, this is why she's going in the middle of the day. But um, what that means is she's got this, she's got this history, of, and Jesus says she's had five husbands. And the one she has right now is not her own. There's not, not a husband with her. Um, for, for a woman to be divorced in that culture, especially that many times, would really put her in, a, in, in so many people's eyes as just as, as being sinful. And, um, and so in, even in her own city, she was viewed as, again, this is in Samaria, which the Jews looked at as almost like an outcast area. And yet even for her in this city, she would have been outcast. Maybe not beyond the city wall. She was still within. But people would have looked at her funny. They would have, they would have seen her as a sinner. Are you following with me? This is why she comes to this particular part of the day. Um, as an, my brother recently went to, uh, he went to India. My brother's, my brother's, um, my brother's at the seminary uh, in, in St. Louis where I work. And uh, I always describe my brother. Say, and he almost came this, this, this year. I almost got him to come. Uh, that close. That, I mean, literally, he was in my house on Thursday night. Should I buy a ticket? Thursday night. That close. Um, my brother loves to, he's a, he's a world traveler, loves missions, and he went to India with our church uh, probably about four months ago. And one of the things he did with our church is that he went to uh, an orphanage in northern India. And in India, they have a caste system, and they're, they're trying to break out of it, but you're the caste system, and C-A-S-T-E, yeah. And if you're born into certain kind of castes, you can never get out of them. But one of those that really translates, you see in the Bible a lot, that's still observable in India, is with leprosy. Okay, if you have leprosy, I mean, it's a, it's a skin disease, and it actually eats away at you, and, you know, like your nose falls off, your ears, your fingers will eventually, and... Um, the, the orphanage my brother went to was not for leprous kids, but it was actually for kids who had been born to parents who have leprosy. Do you follow that? So it wasn't a true orphanage. But what the parents realized is that if the kids lived with them long enough, they would catch leprosy. And they would be an outcast the rest of their lives. An outcast in that culture meant you, you, you were not a part of the community. You were shunned. You had to live in special places with other people with sicknesses. Um, you couldn't have uh, certain jobs. Like if you, you know, we in in the U.S. we think about like, well, I can do anything I want to. Not not in that way. If you're an outcast, if you had leprosy, no way. Well, so they would put actually take their kids and send them to this orphanage to live, so they would never contract leprosy, and then they had a chance to actually become become somebody and have a life. That's really sad. The parents only get to see them once a year, but the parents are are totally outcast. Even today. That's, that's what we're seeing here. It's, it's this complete outcast. But Jesus is going for this woman. He's walking in. He's walking in you know, over barriers. You ever seen hurdles on TV? Yeah, I ran track in college and they had hurdles. I was never brave enough to do hurdles because it just looks like it hurts so bad when you hit your knees on them. Uh, but hurdles, okay, you've got, in, in hurdling, you've got, what, like 15 of these barricades that you have to jump over to get to the line, to get to the finish line. And they slow you down. They keep you from getting to the finish line. 
Jesus in this story has so many barriers that other people actually like to have that keep them from interacting with people. But Jesus is, is one by one smashing down that barrier just like a hurdle gets smacked down. He's going into the land in spite of the fact that it may, may kind of ruin his reputation. He's going into a well with, with a woman. Um, and by the way, they didn't practice kind of the same religion. And that was another thing, you know, if you, it wasn't true religion. It was this other religion. And so uh, there were so many factors that Jesus is risking when he goes to her. And he's risking being guilty almost by association, just by being with her. But something amazing happens. He goes to this well. And um, look at your Bibles with me. He does two things. First of all, in verse 7, look at verse 7. Somebody read verse 7 for me. Okay. Jesus asks her, give me a drink. Uh, so now he's talking to her, and now he's asked her for a drink. Well, if, if you're going to, again, in, this, in that culture, if you're going to um, become, if you're worried about being becoming in, uh, unclean from somebody who you perceive to be sinful or unclean, um, even with the food laws, you could, you could get become unclean through dry food, but absolutely certainly with wet, with a liquid. But you and I know that, right? Who here has had a sibling or a family member um, with a cold or a flu? How about in the last year? Yeah? Okay. Um, and I'm the worst at this, by the way. If they're, if they're drinking out of a cup or if they're coughing or eating or something, what are you absolutely worried is going to happen? You're going to get sick, right? So if maybe you're like me. My wife gets sick. And... Uh, I wrestle with this. I, I just sometimes I just actually think I'm mean because I'm just like uh, you eat over there. I'm gonna eat over here. You, okay, you, is that your bottle of water? Is that your glass of water? Okay, good. Then this is mine. You know, it's like I'm not gonna drink out of your glass of water. If you have a cold and you share your your, your glass of water with somebody, um, what are you thinking? Hey man, drink at your own risk. You go ahead, but you know I got the. No. So that's, you know, and if you're the person who drinks that glass of water um, unknowingly and then you find out, like, oh, was this your, oh, no, <laughs> I'm totally going to catch it. Whatever that is you've got, I'm going to catch it. We do that, don't we? I do that all the time. My kids got sick a little while ago and, you know, I was just like, all right, just leave them in their rooms, throw food in the door. <laughs> My wife's like, you've got to change their diaper. Oh, well, it gets well first. Just leave them in there. <laughs> I mean. Uh, but Jesus doesn't do that. He asks her for a drink. Let me just tell you, um, I, believe, I believe this absolutely rocks her paradigm. And she knows it. She knows he's not supposed to be talking to her. If you look in there, let's back, look back into our Bibles. She says in verse 9, The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? I mean, she's aware. She knows the cultural norms of the day. She's like, you're at, okay, what? What are you doing? Jesus does it anyway. Um, what he's doing is he is, he knows her sin. He knows all the cultural norms and he's walking right through them. And he's saying, I'm, I'm pursuing you. I'm in pursuit of you. And he's looking, essentially, he's looking past her sin. Remember John 3.17? Anybody got John 3.17 handy? Let's read that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's an exact example. You see it in John 3? Now Jesus is doing it. He's walking to a woman who, who should be condemned. In fact, the rest of the world is condemning her. And he is at great risk to his own reputation as a teacher. I mean, if, what you may not be getting, maybe, and I'm not even getting it fully, is that for him to do this, this could completely undermine his credibility as a teacher and his ministry, which he just started in chapter 2. Just started. Now, this is a complete threat to that. And Jesus is going. Why? Because he's pursuing her. Um, he's not defining her by her sin. There's a great book by a guy who's awesome. And y'all should buy this book. I'm totally going to plug it. It's called Learning Evangelism from Jesus. And it's written by a guy named Jerem Bars, who's British. He's got a wonderfully soothing voice that'll put you to sleep. <laughs> and anyone who's, who's sat under him um, loves him and... Um, Loves his stuff. Anyways, he he's got a chapter in here on this, and it's been incredibly informative. You'll probably read the book and be like, "That's exact, John. What? Yeah, I mean, he's shaped my thinking." Um, here's what he says. He says, um, in discussing theology with her, which he does, he talks about Jerusalem and worship and all this sort of thing. Jesus is again demonstrating respect for her, despite her race, despite her wrong theology. Despite her gender, despite her sin, he's pursuing. Um, you and I, we often feel like it's our job to condemn people and to judge them. And, and, and what we do so frequently is we put the hurdles up to keep ourselves from engaging with people who we see as, well, you're, you're doing something different. You're, I, you know, I can't talk with you. Especially with non-believers. We totally do this. Jesus is, really, is, is absolutely rocking our paradigms for saying, well, I should not be associating with non-believers. And I want to argue, he's actually, he's actually rocking our paradigm on how, how we should associate with even people within the church. Because we do this in the church just as much as we do it outside of the church. Um, at this point, I just want to ask a question, too. Uh, think for a second, and maybe you want to write this down. What are the barriers, what are the hurdles that we put up to keep ourselves from engaging other people? Christians and non-Christians alike. What are those hurdles? What are those barriers? Now, this is striking. Okay, the woman, she responds to Jesus. Can you, make, you can write that down. But she responds to Jesus in a couple of ways. She asks him about living water. She says, you know, that sounds really good. I don't want to be thirsty anymore. In fact, I'd rather not have to come out here and draw water anymore. Jesus comes right behind that and says, 
um, well, go talk to your husband. She tries to change the subject. Jesus comes back and says, listen, I know you've already had five husbands. And she says, well, and she starts talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come and tell us and clear some things up for us. And then Jesus says to her, and I'm the Messiah. Now, we don't have a lot more after this point in this text. It doesn't say a lot more for us, except what the woman does. Do you see what she does? She runs back to the town. All right? Now think about this. This is, this is less than an hour of her life, most likely. And she's running back to the town she just kind of slinked away from. It says it here. Um, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I'll tell you what, this verse for me, come see a man who told me every, everything I ever did. This has been one of those verses that is, I mean, it is such a sweet verse. Jesus comes to this woman, tells her everything she's ever done, in, that, that the rest of this town sees her as, they define her as a sinful woman. And Jesus comes and says, that's not who I see you as. And he does that a couple different ways. He does that as he talks to her. I mean, his physical presence with her is actually honoring her and, and saying, I don't see you this way. The way he, the, the conversation he has with her, he talks about theology, he talks about some other things with her. Listen, men would not have done that in that culture, but Jesus does it. And then he asks her for a drink. He asks her for a true need. And he's willing to act to... Unlike me with my wife, he's actually willing to say, I'm not worried about what you've got. I'm not worried about being stained by you. Okay? <laughs> this is being recorded, so she's saying, sorry, honey. I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, one day I will drink a glass of water when you're sick. <laughs> um, Jesus has so honored and changed this woman in such a short course of time by his presence in the words that she leaves her jar of water and runs back to the town to t go find all the people that she didn't want to see her before and, and find them and say, come, come meet somebody who told me, the big sitter in town, all I ever did and didn't see me as that. As a quick aside, um, Oftentimes we can look at Jesus, and our tendency when we look at Jesus is to say, you know, well, Jesus was God, so he lived a perfect life. And we, we, we really emphasize that Jesus is God. He's divine. Who here does that? Who here goes, I do. I do it all the time. Yeah? <clears throat> uh, this text shows us a glimpse of Jesus' humanity. He's fully human. He's fully man. He asks for a drink because he's incredibly thirsty. Because he just walked through a desert to pursue this woman. Um, he felt everything that we feel. And if you want to write down some extra uh, verses on this, and you can look at these later. On John 19, 28, Jesus asks for another drink. And he's on the cross. Why? Because he's thirsty. Uh, Matthew 4, 2. Uh, and Matthew 21, 18. He's hungry. And um, in Matthew 8, 24, he's, he's sleeping on a boat. Jesus was fully human. This should actually be a comfort verse to us when we, when we go through difficult times and we're wondering, you know, God, are you really there? 
Well, this, this just reminds us, you know what? Yes, Jesus experienced everything we went through. He experienced all of our pain, all of our sorrow, and our joy. And he took it on him because he was pursuing. And he was pursuing us. Which leads me um, to another, another question and another, another fun little quote here. Um, yourself in this story? When you read this story, who do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as Jesus in this story? That maybe as you read this, you're, this is what you're called to do? It's a WWJD story. What would Jesus do? Well, he'd walk into Samaria. So it's my turn. i got to go walk into Samaria. i got to be like Jesus. i got to walk in. Or do you see yourself as the woman? Do you see yourself as the woman at the well who is being pursued by Jesus? Well, this story is, um, is telling us two things. It's giving us a model and a motivation. Jesus is giving us a model. We talk about the theme, stain. I'm about to wrap this up. Um, he gives us, we're talking about the theme being stained by other people. Jesus just shows us a model of how should we engage with other people. We've we, we got to recognize what our barriers are that we put up that, that, that prohibit us from engaging with them. And recognize that those are that's not that's not what God calls us to do. But more importantly, He actually gives us a motivation. Um, we're, we're not supposed to just go and um, be with people uh, because that's the thing to do. If we see ourselves as the woman in this story, we begin to realize uh, she went to the town because she was so changed. She'd experienced mercy and grace, and that changed her deeply. To the, to the degree that she went back to the people who condemn her and said, you've got to come taste this too. This is awesome. Right? Uh, I mean, it's like the little kid, a six-year-old kid at a fair, okay? And we do a little fair at our, at our church every now and again, um, who first finds a slushy. Y'all have ever had a slushy? A little snow cone slushy type of thing? Snow cone. I'm thinking it's slushy. Slushy's in a cup. Snow cone's in a cone. You know? It's ice and like... Food coloring and sugar. Awesome. <laughs> a six-year-old who finds out that this exists is just so ready to go. If his friends are there and they don't know about it, what's he going to do? Okay, hey, whoa, i got to eat this first. And then when my lips are completely blue, I'm going to go tell, hey, you got to get one of these. You know, or maybe he'll just go back and show them. He'll be like, you know, just melting on his face. <laughs> what, when... When our motivation, when we have experienced mercy and grace in a profound way, we want to take that with us to, other, to, to those who, who have not yet experienced it. That, that's our motivation. This story, inside the larger story of Scripture, is, just, is, a, is a singular example of what um, Jesus came from heaven in pursuit of us. And in this story, Jesus is going from, from Judea into Samaria in pursuit of the woman. We, we actually deserve to be outcasts. We don't deserve the communion that we share with, with God or even with each other. This is a sweet thing that we have. But by God's grace and mercy, we have it. That's a wonderful thing to celebrate. 
Um, this week, as we're unpacking what does it mean to live a stained life, I, I, want us to, I want us to consider what are the barriers that are keeping us from being with, with other people, and are those appropriate? Like how in your heart, who are the people in your life, um, in the church and out of the church, that you actually treat like an outcast? And how is this story speaking into to how we should engage people with the, with the grace and mercy that's been shown to us? And to that end, um, do you know, are you tasting and drinking deeply from God's grace and mercy? Maybe this can be a time when you, when you can come back and say, Lord, I want to taste that more deeply. We're going to go into a time of, uh, we're going to have communion together. And what we're celebrating when we, when we share in the Lord's Supper is we're sharing the fact that we as, as those who believe in Jesus and we put our faith in Him, we believe that He actually has pursued us. He's come down from heaven and pursued us. And we're celebrating that reality. That Christ's death on our behalf on the cross has paid the price. And we all individually and then as a corporate body, we get to celebrate that together. So we're going to start the week this way. We're going to, we're going to uh, share in the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. And Patrick and uh, Tom and Chad are going to come up. Um, and then at the end of the week, we're going to do it again. And, uh, and it, these are just these are visible reminders for us. This is, the, the, this is what we share together, and this is what we share and celebrate. Let me pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, pursue us as you have. Uh, Lord, would we know your grace and mercy as this woman has? Would it change us so much um, that we run back to the cities that have condemned us, that we would run... Uh, back with a reckless abandon wanting to share uh, the sweet taste of uh, salvation with those who have not yet tasted. Jesus, we pray for that freedom, and we pray that we would know you deeply uh, as a result of this week together. In Jesus' name we pray, and all YXL said together, Amen. Amen.
And much to my disappointment, it wasn't a label pirate ship. And so I started to go down the list. And so finally, all I had left was this little bag with tissue paper in it. And I knew well enough that there's no way in the world that my label pirate ship was going to fit in that little bag. And I was devastated, disappointed as can be. And so I opened up my last little Christmas gift. And inside, I found the strangest thing. My mom had put the clipping from the catalog in a bag. And I thought, this is the meanest thing that anyone <laughs> could do. All I wanted was my Lego pirate ship. And she gave me all this other stuff, and then she threw the pirate ship in my face, right? And no, that, that's not what happened at all. After I opened up this little bag, my mom told me, you know, I ordered you your Legos, but they haven't arrived yet. The back order, they're on the way. And she could have very easily just told me on Christmas morning, hey, you know what? I know you wanted a Lego pirate ship. I bought it for you, but it isn't here yet. But she didn't. She went through all the work of wrapping up this little bag and stuffing the tissue paper in it and clipping this little piece out from the catalog to give it to me. To give it to me as a reminder that she really did buy me a Lego pirate ship. And you know, after that, for the next week or so, every day when the postman came by, what, what do you think I did? <laughs> I looked out there and I waited for the package, right? And when the package didn't come, and when I got disappointed, when I got discouraged, all I had to do was stick my hand in my pocket, pull out my crumpled little clip, and say, you know what? My mom bought me a Lego pirate ship. You know? And I tell you that story because in a lot of ways, it's, 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 a, it's a good symbol of what Jesus does for us at this table. We call the sacraments, we call the Lord's Supper signs and seals. My mom gave me this little clipping to represent a promise that she made and to assure me that she was going to keep her word. And that's exactly why the Lord, that's exactly why Jesus gives us this table. To give us visual reminders of the promise that he has made to us. And to assure us, when we start to look at our sin, when we start to feel like the woman at the well, that his promises are true. He has died in order to redeem us from our sins. That he cleansed <coughs> us with his blood. And that's a promise that you and I are able to hold on to. And so as you come to the table this morning, my appeal to you is to hold on to that promise. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, this is a trustworthy sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds, of whom I am the worst. Right? A self-righteous Jew, a Pharisee, comes in contact with the grace of God. And all of a sudden, he recognizes that he's the woman of the well. He's the most sinful sinner. He's the outcast of outcasts. He's transformed by the grace of God.
Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after breaking it, he, after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. The same way after supper, he took the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so with <coughs> Brothers and sisters, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes again. Will you uh, bow your head and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the love that you have shown us in coming, in living a perfect life, humbling yourself, and dying in our place. And we thank you for your mercy in giving us these signs. Lord, we pray that just as we were nourished this morning by breakfast, Lord, that you would nourish us spiritually now by this food, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would strengthen us by your promises. And we ask all of this in your name and for your glory.